morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it is awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you in our online campus. Uh, thanks for participating with us through that venue. Also, those of you in our parent viewing rooms, that is a great option. If you have small children, you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, a couple of quick things before we jump into the talk this morning. I want to let you know that um, we have noticed that over the last uh, couple of months, this room is getting more and more full. So just want you to know that we've noticed. Uh, so if you're like, man, I don't know what they're going to do in a few weeks here. Uh, we're doing five Easter services, as you know. But then after that, uh, we're heading into another series after that. And I just want you to know we're not going to make any big moves in the next uh, just a few weeks, just as a quick reaction. But we are uh, aware of it. It's on our radar, and we're looking towards the future with uh, anticipation and planning in mind and uh, kind of figuring out when is the right time for us to potentially add a third service because we want to make sure that there's always room for you to invite your friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers. And so uh, I just want you to know as things are tightening up a little bit, uh, thanks for being patient with us. Uh, we want to make sure that we do that in a way that really works uh, long term. And so uh, just want you to know that I know that it's getting a little tight in here sometimes, but uh, it's on our radar screen. The other thing is uh, right after Easter, we're actually heading into a series for five weeks around the Apostles' Creed. And if you are familiar with the Apostles' Creed, and even if you're not familiar with the Apostles' Creed, uh, it is really this sort of statement of beliefs that was established during a time in human history when most people were illiterate and really didn't have any access to the scriptures. And so as a way to help people uh, kind of create an anchor for their faith and their basic, these are the things that we hold on to to believe, this creed was created, and it allowed people to be able to memorize something quickly and succinctly in a way that informed their faith and taught them some basic doctrines about who God is. And so we are going to take the next five weeks after Easter, and we're going to go through that uh, Apostles' Creed, and there's really five big sections of it that we want to cover is that part of that, we're also going to be launching new groups. So here's why I say that. Uh, a lot of our groups are just kind of uh, winding down this particular season, and we'll probably take a little break around Easter. But immediately after Easter, when we start that five-week uh, series, we're going to be uh, coinciding that with a five-week season of groups. And that means that if you've wanted to get into a group, but you're like, you know what, it was kind of mid-season when I came, or I was looking for one, but it seems like they've already been meeting for several weeks, uh, this is the perfect opportunity for you to jump into a group. All of our groups are on the Church Center app. If you missed the QR code on the screen, it's right in your outline. So you can just QR code right there, download that app, and then you can search for groups. And uh, all of our groups... It's kind of a perfect on-ramp to jump into a group during this season because our groups are going to be going through this five-week Apostles' Creed together, and it's a perfect way for you to jump in uh, and start on a same topic with a group of people. So we've got a lot of really good groups uh, from uh, Men's Coffee here on Tuesday mornings. We've got a couples group that meets Tuesday evenings. Uh, we've got a young adults group on Monday evenings, other groups for families, other groups for women, uh, all kinds of different options. And so I want to encourage you, if you've been thinking about a group, but you haven't jumped into one yet, yet, over the next couple of weeks, this is the perfect on-ramp for you to get connected. And so I want to encourage you to get that Church Center app, browse through those groups, sign up for a group, and then we'll help you get connected through these five weeks. Cool. So today we're wrapping up a series called uh, Empty and Filled. And this whole series has been around Lent. And if you uh, don't know what Lent is, if you're unfamiliar with Lent, or maybe you grew up with Lent and it was kind of this thing where you're just like, I, I don't really know what it is, but we do it because I, you know, McDonald's has 99 cent fish fillets on Fridays. Uh, so we did that. Um, 
the whole purpose of this is to help us understand the word Lent uh, comes from the word lengthening. It was a season called the lengthening of days or literally spring. And so it just meant uh, this is the springtime, and we use this season to anticipate Easter. And we've really said this is really kind of spring cleaning for our souls. Like, this is a way for us to, we empty ourselves of some things as we ask God to fill us with some things, and we look forward with anticipation to Easter uh, and uh, the, uh, the message of Jesus. And so today in the sort of Lenten calendar is what we refer to as Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Now, let me explain where that comes from. Uh, have you ever received conflicting information? Like two, you read two different things about the same topic. Like you've got two different pieces of information and you're not sure which one is correct. For example, uh, and this might be the most important question that we ask all day. Is coffee still good for us? <laughs> yeah, I, I hear a resounding yes in the room. Okay, uh, it used to be this, right? Coffee's fine. Coffee's good for you. Uh, and then all of a sudden, all these studies come out, and there are all kinds of studies done, and it says, no, 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 coffee's going to stunt your growth, and uh, coffee has all these negative side effects, and then more research came out and says, no, it's actually good for you. And so you read all of this conflicting information, right? And so uh, I remember, like, there, there's, like, studies done, and it's like, no, coffee, researchers say that coffee is actually healthy for you. It has these benefits. If you drink one cup of coffee a day, these are all of the uh, incredible benefits that your body will experience. And then more research was done and the studies come out and they're like, no, it'll stunt your growth. It causes all kinds of diseases. It has all kinds of negative side effects. And then more research comes out and it's like, you should drink coffee. And you're like, I don't know what to do. And so all of us have a little bit of confirmation bias, don't we? And you, this is where you listen to only the information that confirms what you hope to be true. And so when it comes to coffee, I only pay attention to research that confirms what I already believe. that coffee is good for me. Now, you could probably show me 10 different articles where the researchers say, no, 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 here's all of the negative effects of coffee, but all I need is one good article that shows me the benefits, and that's the one that I'm going to believe is true because it confirms the bias that I already have towards this delicious java. Now, confirmation bias causes us to look at something through a specific lens, and then it causes us to want to confirm something that we hope to be true, and that's why we have Palm Sunday. You're like, uh, I don't get it. Let me connect the dots for you. There's a prophecy from the prophet Zechariah. Now, Zechariah uh, lived in the time of the Old Testament. Old Testament is uh, the old covenant that God had with the nation of Israel. So God had this uh, relationship established with the nation of Israel. And the Old Testament, what we refer to as the Old Testament in our Bible, is the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the writings of the law. It's the history of the nation of Israel. And it's the uh, poetry and prophets. And so there was a prophet named Zechariah. And when a prophet gave a message, it was a message from God to the people. And sometimes it was a message that needed to be delivered for the present time. And sometimes it was something that was a sign that would be fulfilled later on in the future to point to what God was doing. That's what this particular prophecy is. And Zechariah writes this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And so this was a sign. This was the first century Jewish people thought about this as, as we get into the first century and it's Jesus' day. And uh, people who were first century Jews were waiting for specific prophecies 
This was written hundreds of years earlier. They were, they were looking for a king who would come and riding on the colt of a donkey, and that would be the sign that this was their moment to shout in triumph that they would receive victory. And so the lens through which they viewed this, they brought a confirmation bias to this particular uh, prophecy. And on the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the lens through which they viewed this prophecy was that this would be their conquering king. And so this was going to be the time that Jesus started a revolution. This was going to be the time that Jesus uh, overthrew the Roman Empire. That was how they saw this. Their confirmation bias led them to believe that whenever this prophecy was fulfilled, the nation of Israel would throw off their shackles, they would throw off the oppression of Caesar, and they would become a free nation again. And so that was how they saw it. And all of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus, you have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and Matthew and Mark and John were all eyewitnesses, and Luke interviewed the eyewitnesses and wrote this account. And every single one of them include this particular story of what we call Palm Sunday. It was a time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and he specifically told his disciples, uh, go to this part of the town, you're going to find a donkey, and you're going to find the colt of a donkey, and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, what are you doing, just tell them the Lord needs this, and they will let you take it. And it's exactly what happened. And Jesus comes riding in to the city of Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. So suddenly... You gotta imagine this, right? They, they, they know the prophecy. This is the sign that we will have a victorious king who will set us free. And so this is their lens. This is their confirmation bias. They want this to be true. And now here is this guy who has been creating quite a buzz around the region. And now he's riding in on a colt of a donkey. And they're like, this is it. He's the king. This is the, this is the time. And so as a way to honor his entry into Jerusalem, many of them took off their cloaks and spread them on, a, on the ground as a way to show honor. And if you didn't have a cloak that you could spread on the ground, here's what you would do. You would cut a palm branch and lay that on the ground. Hence, Palm Sunday. That's where we get this from. And the reality is uh, that was a way for them to show honor to what they thought would be their new conquering king. And you can't blame them. Their, their confirmation bias had led them to a grossly misunderstood view of who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And if we're honest, we've been doing the same thing with Jesus ever since. The truth is that even in our 21st century, you know, United States of America worldview, we bring our agenda, we bring our confirmation bias to Jesus. And the way that we view Jesus tends to get... Uh, viewed through a lot of different lenses. It gets impacted and shaped by a lot of different things. Things like pop culture. I mean, think about music, just modern music. Jesus, the word Jesus, the name Jesus, shows up in all kinds of modern music. Uh, everything from songs from Kanye West to uh, Justin Moore singing Jesus and Jack Daniels. Uh, there's an artist named Alec Benjamin who sings Jesus in L.A. And there's all kinds of music where, where Jesus gets thrown in all the time. Uh, how about TV and movies? Jesus makes guest appearances on all kinds of TV shows uh, like The Simpsons and South Park. He makes guest appearances. Uh, movies like The Da Vinci Code, uh, movies even in comedy movies, right? In, in um, the story of Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights. And Ricky Bobby prays to Jesus, right? Eight pounds, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, golden fleece diapers. Don't even know a word yet. And uh, you, you've got Jesus showing up in clothing. If, if somebody has thought of it, then it's made its way onto a t-shirt, right? Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is my boyfriend. Jesus is my gardener. 
There's all kinds of like slogans with Jesus. In fact, there's all kinds of merchandise with Jesus. You've got Jesus bobbleheads. Who doesn't want one of those sitting on their dashboard, right? You've got, uh, you've got Jesus sort of uh, stamps, Jesus mugs, and probably the worst Christian merchandise I've ever seen in my life is something called a testament. It's a breath mint that has a cross engraved in the center. Hey, would you like a testament? Yeah, groan, right? That's awful. Our view of Jesus has been shaped by all of these things. They're, they're very subtle, and it's just like these things are just out there. And then those are kind of non-serious things, but then we've got other things like our religious upbringing, our background, whatever we grew up with, or whatever lack of upbringing that we grew up with in terms of a religious background. All of these things play into our view of Jesus. So if you grew up Jewish, Jewish you were taught that Jesus was a rabbi. He was a great teacher. If you grew up uh, Buddhist, you were taught that Jesus was an enlightened individual. If you grew up uh, Muslim, you were taught that Jesus was a great prophet. If you grew up Mormon, Jesus is one of many saviors in many different worlds that there's many different human races. And, and there's many different flocks, and Jesus is the shepherd, and there's different sons of God. Uh, maybe you grew up with no religion at all, and you learned about Jesus Christ. And you just, you just knew that Jesus Christ was what your parents said when they stubbed their toe or somebody cut them off in traffic, you know? <laughs> it's just a slang term, right? Or it's possible you've always seen Jesus as just a crutch that people lean on, just some kind of mythical coping mechanism for making it through life. And maybe you grew up in a setting where you were taught that Jesus was against everything, and uh, your, your church upbringing was just like, you know, no rated R movies and no rock and or roll and uh, no playing cards and no dancing. And, uh, you know, n just all of these things were just off limits because Jesus was just really the sort of uh, moral referee to enforce this moral code of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And if you do, then he's really just this cosmic killjoy waiting to strike you whenever you actually wandered off the path. And maybe that's like, that's a terrifying view of, of God, right? Uh, or maybe your parents taught you that uh, maybe you went to church and you went to church on a regular basis, basis and it was like, hey, don't disobey or God's going to be mad at you. Don't sin or otherwise God's going to be upset. God's going to be angry. So you just live with this sort of this fear all the time of like, I want to do the right thing, but I don't want to do the right thing because it's the right thing. I want to do the right thing so God doesn't get me. And that's a terrifying view of God. And sometimes, unintentionally, that's the message that comes ringing through, even if you grew up in church, because your parents might have said something like, hey, you know what, we're going to go to church, and you, you had just feeling that Jesus was always serious, because it's always like, shh, we're in church, wear your Sunday best, right? Don't run, don't smile, don't talk, don't have fun, we're in church. You're like, why is Jesus so serious all the time? Or maybe you're exploring Jesus for yourself for the first time. Maybe you don't have any church background at all, and you're unfamiliar with Jesus, and maybe you're watching online, or you wandered in here today, and somebody invited you, or, and you're just trying to figure out what is all the commotion around this Lent season? Why, why do these people who call themselves Christians do all these crazy things during this season? Why is Easter such a big deal? And you're just trying to figure it all out. Maybe you've even got some pressure points or some pain points in your life and you're looking for some hope, and you're looking for some answers, and you've tried a bunch of other stuff, and you're just trying to figure out maybe the Jesus thing is a route to go. And I get all of that. And the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, we end up doing to Jesus what the first century Jewish people did, and we bring our confirmation bias to Jesus, and we allow all these different lenses to shape our view of Jesus. And so consequently, here's what happens. Everyone has an opinion about Jesus. 
Everybody's got an opinion. Jesus is not something that most people just don't ever think about. Somewhere along the way, everybody has an opinion about Jesus. And so you can see the challenge. We kind of have to sort through all of the different experiences and all the different lenses that we bring to this. And we have to understand, okay, who is Jesus really? And sort past the stereotypes and sort past through all the lenses. And that's why the Apostle Paul would eventually write this to uh, the church living in Corinth. Corinth is a, a, a city in Greece, and Paul had started a church there, and he writes this to them. He says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. He says, we, we came to you, we taught you who Jesus is and, and how to live, and the Spirit of God came into your life, and you understood this message to be good news, and now it's like you're getting all mixed up because you're getting all these other conflicting messages and all these other lenses and all these other views. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, don't just believe everything you hear about Jesus. Be informed. Study the Scriptures. Uh, you know, study the eyewitness accounts and discover who this Jesus really is. And so during Lent, during this season of Lent, which is the lengthening of days, during the springtime, as we move towards Easter, what we want to do is intentionally set aside time, set aside our preconceived ideas and our preconceived notions and agendas, and look at what Jesus claimed about himself and what the eyewitnesses wrote about their experiences with Jesus what he said, and what he did. And when you look into the claims that Jesus made and you look into the eyewitness accounts, what you discover is that Jesus did not come to save anybody from a military superpower or from an evil empire. Instead, here's what you learn. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus actually came into the world to save us from our sins. In fact, when you look at the eyewitness accounts of the day that Jesus was born, We read these verses a lot around Christmas. Here's what it says. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the the intention of Jesus coming into our world. And when God looked at us and saw where we were, he realized they don't need a life coach. They don't need a silent partner. They don't need an accountant. They don't need someone who can, they don't need a cheerleader. They don't need someone to just give them some encouragement. They need a savior. They need to be rescued from the mess that they're in. And if you've never come to grips with the fact that you actually need saving, then this message of Jesus is actually kind of a nuisance. It's actually kind of an invasion into, you know, just living your life. And we don't need a little bit of help. We don't just need a cheerleader. We don't just need a little bit more wisdom. We don't just need a a, a little bit more encouragement. What we need is to be rescued from the consequence of our sins. My daughter, uh, when she was, uh, she's 15 now, and when she was uh, in kindergarten, she actually, uh, the school called and said, hey, we need you to uh, come and pick her up. Uh, she's not been feeling well today, and uh, she's actually contracted fifth's disease, which as a parent, I'd never heard of that before. I'm like, fifth's disease? What, what is that? And it's pretty common. It's like a, you know, a little infection that kids can develop, and, uh, and so I went to pick her up, and uh, wasn't that bad. I, in my mind, but in her mind, this was very serious. So she got in the car and she was really worried and really nervous and kind of crying a little bit. I was like, what's wrong? She goes, dad, I have 50 diseases. <laughs> Lost in translation, just a little bit there, right? And so I had to assure her, no, you don't have 50 diseases, you have fifth disease. 
Like, oh, well, that's different. Okay, so that was very helpful. But the truth is, we do this when it comes to sin. The truth is that we underestimate our need for a Savior because we don't fully realize the effects of our sin. So we underestimate the fact that I need saving. Instead, uh, none of us, including me, none of us can fully grasp the full effects of our sin because I'm a sinner. And everyone I know is a sinner, and you're a sinner, and everyone you know is a sinner. And that's not an indictment on you as an individual or any person as an individual. That's the reality of being born into a broken and sinful world. We're born with it. And we fall short of our own expectations, don't we? There's certain things that we, that we ascribe to, things that we believe, and we believe we should live a certain way and make certain decisions and do certain things and treat people a certain way, and we don't do those things. So we miss the mark. That's the definition of sin. We miss the mark. And the truth is, this broken, sinful world is all that we've ever known. And so it, it makes sense to us, the things that are a part of a broken and sinful world make sense to us. It's normal. It makes sense that we have a police force. That's normal. It makes sense that we have security systems. It makes sense that all the doors on this building have locks. That's normal. That we have banks and that we have fences and that we have metal detectors at airports and that we have Navy and Army and laws and we can't fully grasp the significance of sin in our world because we haven't known anything else. All we've known is that world. We don't know how it could be and how it should be and how it once was and how it will be again. And so this world is far more broken than we want to admit it is. And if we're honest, we are far more broken than we want to admit that we are. Because the truth is, you know, kind of forget about what you read in scriptures for a second. You don't need a scripture verse to tell you that somewhere along the way, something bad got mixed into the DNA of our world. Because you know, based on your own experiences, that there are things that you believe that you don't keep. There are things that you wish you had said that you don't. There are things that you wish you would do that you don't. You fall short of your own standards, and I fall short of my own standards, let alone God's standards. And so we don't need a verse to tell us that we've missed the mark. We recognize that. When we look around our world, we see that. We hear every day about refugees who are being forced to leave a country because a leader of a neighboring country is waging an unnecessary war and killing civilians. And we don't need a Bible verse to tell us that's wrong, that shouldn't be happening. We, we hear stories of global strife and starvation knowing that the number one killer of young children is actually a lack of access to clean water. We go, that shouldn't be happening. We read about and we see uh, through our media, we see stories of racism and genocide and you see parts of the world where people are treated like property. And you, you watch that stuff and you hear those stories about violence and about uh, hatred and about racism and all these things and you go, that shouldn't be. And, and you do the same thing that I do. You go, what is it about those people that would make them think like that? What is it about them? I don't understand why they would do that. And that's how we tend to think. There's a Russian author named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and he actually um, wrote this, and I think it's so profound. If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. The line dividing good and evil, it actually cuts through every human heart. So think about that. Let me tell you what's in them that causes them to behave that way. What's in them, those people, it's the same thing that's in you and me. It's sin. 
It's selfishness that's gone a little bit further than your selfishness has ever gone. And it's greed that's gone a little bit further than your greed has ever gone. And it's lust that's gone a little bit further than your lust has ever gone. And it's fear and insecurity that have gone just a little bit further than your fear and insecurity have ever gone. And we don't even, you know, in our sort of modern, because we want to make everything just water it down a little bit. Let's not offend anybody. So let's not use the word sin anymore. We don't want to use that word. So instead, what do we do? People, people don't sin. They just what? They make a mistake. And here's the phrase that we love. I mean, as Americans in the 21st century, man, we love this phrase because it justifies any time that we make a decision that we know we shouldn't have made, we get to use this, and it's just, it's just the perfect buffer. Well, I mean, I'm not perfect. Really? Wow. That's fascinating. But you know what that does? It's such a, it's such a kind of a, a tool of manipulation. We go, well, look, I mean, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not perfect. And it's great because what we can do is we can use that and go, I mean, I've made some mistakes. I'm not perfect. But this is how we set up to separate us from them. Those people that have selfishness and hatred and violence. Those people who have lust and greed and fear and insecurity. I mean, I'm not perfect, but... I mean, I've made some mistakes, but... And the truth is this. We would rather use the word mistake than use the word sin. But deep down, if we're honest, again, this isn't an indictment on any one individual. This is just us as human beings. We know there's a difference between a sin and a mistake. A mistake, a mistake is when I forget to carry the one when I'm balancing my checkbook. A mistake is when I dial the wrong number and I get somebody I didn't intend to call. That's a mistake. You see, if everything I do can be dumbed down to just a mistake, then I'm not a sinner. I'm just a mistaker. It's much better. But if I'm just a mistaker, then that means that I'm really not a sinner. And if I'm not a sinner, then I really don't need a savior. I don't need anybody to save me. I just need a cheerleader. I just need a life coach. I just need, you know, somebody to come along and give me a little bit more encouragement. I just need an advisor. I may be able to convince the people around me for a while that I'm a mistaker, but deep down, I know the truth about me, and you know the truth about you, and you know you better than anybody else knows you, and I know me better than anybody else knows me. And here's what we all know about ourselves, that we're not just mistakers. We know that when the lights go out and when the head hits the pillow, you know you better than anybody else. And you know that there's a whole lot of wrong that you have done that was intentional. Like, we did it on purpose. And we would like to do it again. And there's some stuff that we would do that we don't do because we know we would get caught and that's the only thing keeping us from doing it. What is that? And we're very aware of that dynamic. It's not like, it's not like this insidious hidden thing. It's just that is what comes from being bro- born into a broken and sinful world. That's a part of the world that we're in. And most of the wrong things we do in life are not unintentional. It wasn't a mistake. It's not because of poor reasoning or carelessness or insufficient knowledge. We know what we're doing while we're doing it. It's not a mistake. It's deeper than that. Who would do that? Who would sin and then excuse it as simply a mistake? We would. I do. It's human nature. And so God looked at us and he goes, man, they don't need, they don't need a, you know, a life coach. They don't need an advisor. They need someone to save them. They need rescue because their sin is getting them. And here's, here's what is so clear. It wasn't like God looked at human beings and said, man, I'm really mad at them for sinning. 
And if that's ever the message that you got from church is that God is somehow mad at you because of something that you've done, you never find that in the heart of Jesus. You never find that in the scriptures. You never find that in the heart of God. You only ever find that in the hearts of humanity. That somehow God is mad at you. When you sin and when I sin, the reason that God says not to isn't because God's mad at you and God's gonna get you. It's because God knows what sin does to you. God knows what sin does to me. And because God loves you so much and because God is so for you, it breaks his heart to watch his kids go through that. So if you ever hear the message, don't sin, it's not don't sin or God's gonna be mad at you. It's not don't sin or God's gonna get you. It's hey, don't sin because your sin is already getting you. And God wants to set you free from that. And so when Jesus came into the world, he didn't come as a way to like shake his finger at everybody and shame, shame, shame. When Jesus came into the world, Jesus came as a savior. He came to save us from a few different things. Number one, he came to save us from the guilt of our past. Now think about that for just a second. If you read all of the sacred texts of the world's religions, they all share some common morality points. Regardless of what religion you're a part of, they all share some very, very uh, sort of common points of morality. Basically things like this. Don't do harm in word or deed. Honor your father and mother. Be kind towards brothers and sisters. Care for children and the elderly. Be honest in all your dealings. Care for the weaker and less fortunate. Dying to self is the path to life. Almost every religion in the world, you'll find some version of every one of these sort of moral points. These guiding ethics, these basic tenets of morality are contained in every world religion, and yet we fall short of all of them. And in every religion, there's guilt. In every religion, there's a system. Here's the things you have to do, and you fall short of that, so now you're guilty. So now every religion has a system that goes, okay, here are the boxes that you have to check, or here are the rituals that you have to go through, or here are the prayers that you have to pray, or here are the things that you have to recite, or here are the things that you have to memorize. And when you take these steps, then you will be back in right standing with God or then you'll be back in right standing with humanity at large, or then you'll have a better reincarnation the next time around, or then you'll finally make it out of whatever sort of karmic loop you've been stuck in, or then you'll become more enlightened. But one of these things is not like the others. In fact, all of these moral laws basically serve to show us that we don't measure up. All they do is highlight our failure, but none of them actually provide a solution. Jesus, the message of Jesus is the only one that actually says, hey, you've failed and there's guilt as a result of that, not because God makes you feel guilty, but there's just guilt knowing I didn't measure up to what I believed and what I professed to believe. And so there's guilt there. And Jesus is the only one that provides the solution. And it isn't do X, Y, and Z so that you can somehow get to me. The story of Easter is everything that God did to get to us. That's so incredible. In fact, the Apostle Paul would write this to followers of Jesus in the first century who were in the Roman Empire, and it applies to followers of Jesus throughout the ages. He actually says this, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. In other words, when you say yes to Jesus as the Savior, you're, there's no condemnation for you. You're not condemned. Meaning, even though you're guilty, you don't stand guilty before God. He doesn't see you as guilty. You're not condemned. God says, I know you've done things. I know you've said things. I know you've behaved in ways that have missed the mark, but you're in right standing with me. So Paul says there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
He says, I know you got this sin thing in you, but it's not going to be the controlling thing anymore. And the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, the law of Moses was another sort of morality checklist to try to get to God. People needed that at a certain time in human history because they didn't understand. But now that Jesus has come, that's done away with. Our sinful nature caused us to never be able to fully keep the law of Moses. So we were never able to get to God the way that we envisioned it in our minds. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. There was this model where we had to offer this sacrifice in order to get to God. And in order to make sure we didn't do that anymore, God entered into that system, which is found in the hearts of human beings. And he says, okay, I'm going to offer my son as the last sacrifice for one time, good for all, for all people, for all time. That is such good news. <laughs> and notice, he doesn't condemn man. He condemns sin in sinful people. He doesn't condemn men and women. He condemns sin in sinful men and women. He's the Savior. He came to rescue. And during Lent, here's what we do. We pause to remember that Jesus didn't come to bring rules and regulations and checklists and do these boxes and take these steps. He came to save us. Jesus entered into sin-sick humanity. He becomes one of us. And not as a way to establish a bunch of rules, but as a way to offer us grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so the message is never, hey, you better do these things in order to get to God. The message is, no, God has come to you. So now you come as you are. And from there, you're going to change. But it's not a prerequisite to come into God. It's just a result of what happens when you understand who you belong to. But Jesus also came to save us from something else. Number two, a meaningless life. Not just the guilt of our past, but from living a life without purpose. At one point, Jesus is teaching the crowd, and he actually says this to them. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Do you know why Jesus said that? It's because most people never truly live. They just exist. They just survive. They just go on day-to-day, same old living. They get up at the same old time. They eat the same old breakfast. They get in the same old car, listen to the same old radio station on the same old route to work, go to the same old job, do the same old thing, get back in the same old car, take the same old route home, have the same old thing for dinner, watch the same old television station, right? Get in the same old bed, go to sleep, get up the next morning, do it all again. And just hope that, oh man, I hope that the weekend I'll get to hang out with some friends. Hopefully then I can get enough and I can just, man, I'll really live it up when I retire. What an existence. But that's our culture. And most people have no clue why they're alive. Most people have no clue what their purpose is. And so they just live without one. And they kind of wander through life. They become spectators in their own lives. And they don't have any idea why they exist. And yet this season of Lent and Palm Sunday is this reminder to us that God actually stepped into our world. That means that you matter to God. That means that you are not an accident. You were created for a purpose. So Jesus came not just to save us from our sins and the guilt of our past, but to save us from a meaningless life. He actually offers us purpose to live for. And finally, Jesus came to earth to save us from an eternity without God. Not only the guilt from our past, not only give us purpose for living now, but he offers us eternity with him. That's incredible. You see, religion is the enemy of God's grace. Religion is all about, you will never be religious enough. You will never be righteous enough. You will never check enough boxes. You will never attend church enough. You will never go to enough small groups or serve in enough serving teams or give enough or be generous enough. You can't do enough to get to God. 
So instead, God said, no, 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 I'm going to send my son to you. Here's how Jesus said it in John 3. He says, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to be its judge, but to be its savior. His primary reason for coming was not to wag the finger and say, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. His primary reason was for coming was to say, hey, you already have, and your sin is actually hurting you, and I've come to rescue you from that. And I've come to give you purpose here in this life and eternity with God forever. And the moment that we get to the point where we realize that's something that we actually need is a savior, the message of Jesus becomes really good news. It becomes great news. And what Jesus was doing on Palm Sunday, as we remember this Sunday, what Jesus was doing on Palm Sunday was not primarily riding in on the colt of a donkey to show the people that he was going to be victorious over the Roman Empire. What Jesus was doing was riding in on the colt of the donkey to show the people that he was going to be victorious over sin and that there was a new way of living and that everybody was invited into that kingdom. And I'll be honest with you, this message is not for everybody. It's not for mistakers. Because if you're a mistaker, this message just, it's kind of a nuisance. If you're a mistaker, this message is kind of annoying, to be honest. If you're a mistaker, I would encourage you to get a life coach or an advisor or maybe a cheerleader. Jesus actually said at one point, I didn't come, the healthy people don't need a doctor. I came for the people who know they're sick. And then he expounded on that and he said, you know, I didn't come for people who think they're righteous. I came for people who know that they're sinners. And so I'll be honest with you, the message of Jesus is for people with failed marriages who struggle to get past the hurt, who struggle to get past the resentment. The, the message of Jesus is actually for people with addictions who can't seem to break free and they just keep getting caught in that vicious cycle and they feel guilty and uh, they relapse and they, they just can't seem to break free. The message of Jesus is for parents who love their kids but struggle with patience, which is called all parents. The message of Jesus is for people who know that they've done wrong and they need forgiveness and they're not willing to just call themselves a mistaker or go, well, I'm not perfect, but they go, no, I've sinned, I've missed the mark. And I really need Jesus. The message of Jesus is for people who have missed the mark, for people who have sinned. And it's also for people who have been affected by the sins of others, that other people in their life have committed sins and their lives have been marred and impacted and scarred because of that. The message of Jesus isn't for everyone, but it's for people who have been sexually molested and abused. And because of that, they struggle to trust other people and they can't seem to break free from the haunting voices of shame in their minds. The message of Jesus is for people who can't seem to find a, a sense of contentment in this life, and so they just keep climbing one hill after another, and they finally achieve, and they finally acquire, and they get to the top of that hill only to realize true satisfaction is one more hill away. And they spend their whole life doing that, and it never satisfies. The message of Jesus is for people who struggle with worry and anxiety. And it's just a crippling fear. It's for people who feel hopeless and suicidal. It's for people who cut themselves to feel alive. The message of Jesus is for young girls who starve themselves to feel pretty. The message of Jesus is for people who are addicted to porn. The message of Jesus isn't for everybody. It's not for mistakers. It's just for people who struggle in relationships that don't seem to last and they never seem fulfilling, fulfilling enough. It's for people who have secret thoughts that we wouldn't want broadcast on the screens this morning. Palm Sunday reminds us First of all, that Jesus came to save us, and that's good news.
But the other thing that Palm Sunday does is it reminds us how tempted we are to want to shift our view of Jesus to fit our agenda and our confirmation bias rather than shift our agenda to fit what Jesus is doing. And I want to invite you, regardless of where you are in this process or this spectrum, I want to invite you to follow Jesus. The Jesus of Palm Sunday, the Jesus who didn't come to crush a Roman empire through military might or force or the the tip of a sword, but the Jesus who in self-sacrificial love lays down his life and overcomes sin for you and for me and for all people for all time. The one who invites us to a life of purpose and the one who invites us to spend eternity with him as a part of his family. And I think there's a couple of groups of us. I think there's those of us who would say, I've never said yes to Jesus and I want that. In just a second, I'm going to invite you to do that. Whether you're watching online or here in the room, just say yes as, and agree with this prayer in just a minute. But I think there's a second group of us who would say this. I've been following Jesus, but I think what I've done is I've brought my confirmation bias to Jesus. And I think what I've done is I've allowed all these other lenses to shape my view of Jesus. And I've brought my agenda and I've tried to fit Jesus into my agenda rather than shifting my agenda to what Jesus wants to do. And if that's you, Today's just a simple way to say, you know what? On Palm Sunday, I recognize. I don't want to celebrate Jesus for what he can do for me and overcome some empire that I feel is oppressing me. I want, I want Jesus because of what he's promising and who he is to deliver me from my sins. And then I'm gonna do my best to let my agenda be shifted by him and by who he is. And so, regardless of where you're at in that spectrum, regardless of where you find yourself, here's what you need to know. Jesus entered into our world, saves us from our sins, saves us from a meaningless life, gives us purpose, and invites us into eternity. Allowed himself to be put to death. His body is laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. So he has the power to back up those claims. And if you want to say yes, agree with this prayer. Jesus, please forgive my sins. I recognize it's not just mistakes. I've missed the mark. There's things that I've done that I'm not proud of, things I've said that I wish I hadn't. So I just pray that you would forgive me and rescue me from my sins. Help me to discover purpose for living in this life. And I look forward to eternity with you. Make me your son, make me your daughter. And then help me to trust you in the way that I live my life each and every day, that my, let my agenda match up with what you're up to in the world. And God, I pray, there's another group of us that would pray this, that uh, we've been doing our best to follow you. And yet sometimes we try to fit you into our agenda rather than allowing you to shape us. And so our prayer, those of us in that camp would say this, God, help me. Help me to surrender my confirmation bias to whatever preconceived notions or ideas I have of you. Let me follow you. Let me shift my agenda to be a part of what you're up to in the world. And God, regardless of where any of us are at in this process, here's, here's what we pray. Give us the wisdom to know what that next right step is and then give us the courage to take it. And as we do that together, may we be a group of people who reflect the message of your love and mercy and grace to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.